station I listen to in my car. The all-new 89.1 FM. Flying, traveling, or driving across the Turks and Caicos Islands, this is the only station you can hear. You can hear clearly. RTC. RTC. Rockin' the country. Turks and Caicos. Welcome to the program Expressions. I'm your host, Robert Hall. It is indeed a, a lovely morning, and I am delighted to be here in Providenciales at Studio B, and with the Honorable Minister Akira Mizik in front. And uh, we're going to have a very, very informative program today dealing with a suite of legislation that has been passed. As you do know, the past, particularly September, was a September not to remember, but what we'd like to forget if it was possible. And uh, the government has taken some decisive action. Some are bearing fruit and... Uh, other legislative action has been taken. So we invite the public to listen in, and when the time comes, ask whatever question uh, you feel like, because there's quite a bit of erroneous information being spread around. And it seems as if there are some people who are so gullible that they would quickly gulp up that erroneous information rather than seek the truth, as some say. With that, let me welcome you wherever you are throughout the length and breadth of Turks and Caicos Islands. Whether you are over there in Salt Key or in the nation's capital, Grand Turk, good morning. If you are over in the fishing capital, the Big South, special good morning to you. I guess you're still reeling in some lobsters and some conks. Ah, uh, boy, the fishing side has changed so much. I know when we didn't even hardly used to check for shark. Now they're selling shark. When I last checked, I heard they're selling barracuda, too. Oh, my. Well, you all could have all the barracuda. I take no chances with that one. No, 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 no. Anyway, and a lot of the fishes that we used to throw away, they are now being sold. 
I tell you, we've got to change our fishing methods, but I'm not going to get into that today. Uh, good morning to the Twin Islands of Middle and North Caicos. How are the crops going? Our government has given out several $20,000 grants. Uh, let's hope that not only is the grant bearing fruits, but the plants themselves are bearing fruits. All right. So let's keep it going. You see how the world is going. So uh, you better keep growing something. And I always uh, challenge those who during COVID had uh, so many different uh, garden gardens. What's happened to all those gardens now? Have they just grown up with bushes or what? Uh, anyway, keep growing, man. Look here. If it's just a sweet pepper or tomato, uh, that's one or two less you have to buy in the supermarket. And you know, it's not by any means cheap there. All right. So have a good morning, those of you down there in Middle and North. And then over in Parrot Key, I'm sure they're continuing to do a roaring business with the celebrities. That island is still listed among the world's top ten most exclusive properties. And by the way, the Turks and Caicos Islands have been doing well in the international fora as far as um, uh, some of the best destinations in the world. We're, we have a lot to be proud of. And that's why I can't understand some of you talking nonsense, but I got to leave this place. There's not... Go on. Chase your waterfalls. Anyway, hey, good morning to those over in Pine Key. When last have you seen Bill Cosby? At one time, he used to frequent there, you know. Just a reminder. Oh, boy, I tell you, life is something else. But anyway, good morning to Providenciales. As I said, nice to be here with you. And I can see um, from the number of planes I saw yesterday. And uh, there's quite a bit of activity going on, quite a bit of construction going on right now. And uh, therefore, I always challenge people, go on and make use of the opportunities. I see a lot of jobs being advertised in the private sector and a whole lot in the public or government sector. So get out there. There is no reason for anybody to be complaining but can't finding a job. You may not be able to find the job you want because sometimes you've got to face reality. You may not be equipped for that particular job. You know, so do what you've got to do. I recall after I uh, retired from politics, after my tenure's speaker and I decided to do my taxi business, some say, well, why should the speaker be doing taxi? Hey, that's an honest dollar. That's my thing. You know, I had challenges with my dad when I first lost the elections and uh, decided to go and fish. Now, he didn't understand this. You see what happened as a teacher, and I was pretty good at it. My opponents at the time told those in the community don't vote for me because I'm such an excellent teacher and if I left, who's going to teach the children? <laughs> and they bought into that. So I told myself, you know, the only way I could maybe win that, move away from the classroom. <laughs> and that did work. But my dad felt very angry with me that I, uh, I didn't make use of the investment they made in me and as if I had lacked ambition. But thank God, anyway, I overcame that. And I only say that not to boost myself in any way, I need no boosting, but to inspire others of you that, you know, if you can get over the bridge uh, in one leap, uh, keep on trying and find your way. All right, let's begin the show with a word of prayer. 
our Father and our God, through whom we have life, we have our being. We thank you for each day as we face the rising sun. And thank you for your blessings. And we move on in hope and gratitude uh, that you will continue to bless and guide us. Uh, you have the whole world in your hand, and Turks and Caicos is a part of that. Uh, we are indeed grateful for your mercies, uh, that although we have our challenges, there are many others who have had much more challenges than we do. And we pray, uh, dear Father, for all those who are suffering, wherever they be, whatever their infliction. If it is your will, you would extend your healing hand. Bless us today, and may our listeners benefit from the information. Bless our minister as she continues her work. Bless the government, all those who administer the affairs of the island. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, it is certainly always a pleasure to sit with the Honorable Minister. We affectionately call her A.K. <laughs> I, after the last show, somebody said, oh, I see you're cozying up to the Minister. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, you know, but the point is, as far as I'm concerned, when someone deserves a certain amount of praise... I will lavish it on them. Thank you. Here in TCR, I see we are quick to criticize oh, yes. and condemn, but awfully slow to congratulate, you know, a thing like that. And I make no bones about it. As when I was speaker, it was always a pleasure to sit back and listen to this minister as she speak to the various issues. And I say that then said it then i'll say it again i am proud of her and proud of many in the government and i can feel comfortable sitting back when they go abroad to represent turks and caicos islands and represent me all right and so now you can take it as you would like but you know like the folks would say that's the gospel truth <laughs> with that welcome my dear minister. Thank you so much, Mr. Hall, for having me. Thank you to your guests, your faithful listeners at Expressions and on RTC. Thank you to the technical team that are providing us an opportunity to be seen, heard today, because as you have indicated, you want a heavy lifting session and maybe a little teaching session. So as a teacher, you will help guide me through today as we try and explain what we have done in the House of Assembly over the last few weeks in terms of increasing the tools for the police force to use in terms of detecting, but not only detecting crime, but trying to deter it. And so a lot of the legislation that we will go through today, persons would say, oh, well, what was the point of that? And the point is, even though those who would be making menace out there in society probably does not listen to Radio Turks and Caicos or any radio station because they're too busy crafting their next criminal exploit. They have parents, grandparents, cousins, brothers, sisters who care about them and hopefully 
is listening today to kind of speak to them even more to ask them to pull away from their activity. And so hopefully that will be the end goal that we receive today. Some persons being further advised by those who love them that their exploits and tearing down and bringing society down needs to cease because there are significant penalties that they could be subjected to. Well, um, as you refer to me as a teacher, yes, uh, but in many professions, including teaching, they do have refresher courses. Okay. So in this case, Teacher Hall will enjoy a refresher <laughs> course from you. <laughs> All right. But before we get down to that, let me say good morning to some good folks. Uh, there's a lovely lady. Actually, I've never met her, but we correspond on Facebook. She's in Florida heading back to Turks and Caicos tomorrow. Hope you make it down. Good morning to you. Uh, good morning to uh, many of my other frequent listeners and viewers, and I'm sure um, it's Regina Stiles, who never misses the program, that she's delighted not only to hear but to see. And I know later on she'll have all sorts of comments on what's, <laughs> what's up. Good morning to Pauline, to Arabella, to my good friend, uh, Miss uh, Rose Higgs, down here in Providenciales, and to all the guys under the tree, good morning. Honorable Minister, there's a whole raft, or we yes. can say suite of I, legislation. I brought the bundle. And I'm going to give <laughs> all the latitude to you, so okay. take it away. All right, so listeners, as we said, we are going to do some heavy lifting today. So there will be a lot of information that I am going to hopefully condense and make it palatable and understandable for the wider audience so that as you are discussing this in your social circles and raising concerns or bringing it to the attention of persons, you are in the best position to do so. So with your leave, Mr. Speaker, and forgive me if I do interject with Mr. Uh, Speaker, it's because I'm so used to that, but Mr. Hall. Oh, because I was just going to interject. You're I still, know. You're still begging leave? <laughs> I had to say to somebody the other day, you know, who uh, was leaving the flight. It was interesting, leaving on a flight, and they escorted me out first. I mm. said, mind you, I'm no longer, Mr. Speaker. It's okay. But if you give me the honor, exactly. I'll take it. And then, you know, just, just to say, based on the protocol and policy document, if we've served two terms, we're entitled to use the honorable title until Jesus calls us home. So if it comes with being escorted on the plane first... So be it. It's a small thank you for the massive sacrifice that we make as members of parliament Public in the work that we do. That. I appreciate that. Totally. That's why we're here to yes. remind them of the sacrifice. So speaking of sacrifice, we had the very, very, very hot August and a September that oh, wow. was filled with a lot of violent oh, gun-related incidences across the islands. And as we have spoken about leading up to where we were a few weeks ago in the chamber, the National Security Secretariat, which is co-chaired by the governor and the premier, and then it has membership that includes the Ministry of Border Services, the police force, sometimes PPID, my ministry, gets pulled in to the discussion when it comes to unlawful settlements and planning regulations and defortifying communities that would be a challenge for law enforcement to enter into. So part of the process was looking at our current legislation as it was at that time, say about May, June. So before August and September really became the trouble 
that it became, discussions and reviews had had commenced on how can we strengthen legislation that are already present and then how can we create further legislation that can be used as a tool for the police force to conduct their duties and then a tool as a deterrent from those who would seek to engage in criminal behavior. And so the first issue that we had to address was firearms and the abuse of firearms, the access persons had in having unlawful or unlicensed firearms and utilizing them in offenses. And so what we did was amend the firearms ordinance and created what is now called the Firearms Amendment Bill. Once it was passed and it looks like the governor sent it to all the legislation last week, so now it's an ordinance. So we have what is now the Firearm Amendment Ordinance 2022. And that ordinance sought or has now done what we were seeking to do, which was to increase the penalties if persons are found with an unlicensed firearm. So previously, there was a mandatory minimum that was introduced in 2018 by that administration. That so, uh, Sorry mm-hmm. to interject. When you say mandatory minimum, I just thought it was mandatory flat because when you say mandatory minimum, it gives the impression like the judge could give more. Yes, And so the reason why it's a mandatory minimum is that the legislator, the the House of Assembly, cannot impede on a judge's discretion on hearing the facts of a case in terms of when it comes to sentencing. So when the original legislation was created in 2018 it had a flat it had a flat rate right that's on what it. i was getting at okay. and then we over the course of amending this legislation had to take into account the legislative the judicial changes that have happened over the last five years throughout the region and to the privy council which indicated that it is unconstitutional for legislation to have a flat mandatory sentence in other words, you cannot bind the hand of, of the, judge. the judiciary, yeah. I see. And, and the jury and the court process. Right, right. And so what it is now is a mandatory minimum. I got you. And so from the seven years, that has now increased to 10 years. And if you have a high-powered firearm, so I think in Parliament I said that's the one that goes ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. <laughs> so th- that would be your M16, your AK-47s, your... Um, AR-15s, those that have rapid deploy of the missile, that is considered a high, defined as a high-powered weapon. And so the minimum sentence has increased from 10 years to 18 years. And so we had to ensure that we had a mechanism that provides the judiciary the scope based on the facts that would be presented to them based on a guilty verdict determined by a jury of their peers or a judge alone if the defendant had sought that way forward based on that legislation to an increase in the sentencing provisions that the judiciary would have. And so the reason why that bill was also important for us is the importation of high-powered firearms and regular firearms needed to be defined as a criminal offense as well. It is an offense in the customs ordinance. And so we took the opportunity to enhance the firearms ordinance by introducing the amendment that would provide the manufacturing, the sale of, the producing of, because you could now 
based on information that's been provided to us, bring these items in parts and then put them together once they're here. And so that is also a criminal offense where if it's high-powered weapon, minimum sentence 18 years. If it's a firearm, minimum sentence now 10 years. And so there was an increase of three years for a regular firearm and eight years for a high-powered firearm. So that's what was achieved in the firearm amendments ordinance. Well, I'm going to challenge all parents. You know your kids. Some of you hide and cover for them. Uh, but listen, you hear this is some serious, serious move. So warn your children, those who are inclined to criminal activities, you see what's coming. Exactly. And then so the biggest tool that we were able to provide was the amendments to the police force ordinance, which is now the police force amendment ordinance 2022. And this was done in order to provide the force through the commissioner and his executive management team greater powers for stop and search. This provides them an opportunity where if an incident has happened, say, for instance, in the Leeward Palms area, I am the MP of Leeward Palms, so I'm happy to use my community in these scenarios so that I don't vilify any community in the Turks and Caicos Islands. So we're going to focus on Leeward and Long Bay in our examples today. So if there was a shooting incident, say, in Leeward Palms, the police have been activated. They now, through this amendment, can set up a barrier at Leeward Palms to then search all the cars or persons that are coming out of the community. This can only be done for 24 hours. And I think that's the important part of it. So normally, as citizens who are moving throughout these islands, we have a right not to be stopped in search without reasonable cause, meaning that the officer that decides to stop us must have cause for that. And the search must be done with cause. Cause is a legal word that means there must be some sort of suspicion. The suspicion must be reasonable that this person may be a person of interest or they've left an avenue or an area where an interest, an event has happened criminal activity and they fit a description so it could be that there was a black lincoln navigator seen speeding out of leeward palms two minutes after the shooting incident they didn't break they almost knocked someone down as the as the lincoln navigator is making its way down grace bay road the police that's responding to the incident in leeward palms were advised that a black lincoln navigator was at the event where the shooting occurred The police has reasonable suspicion to stop that black Lincoln navigator and commence their investigation. So that's the reasonable suspicion which is presently in our law. And it provides us that level of protection as citizens moving throughout the islands without the ability for us to just be randomly stopped in search. The amendment that we added to this to this stop and search provision is that, again, in Leeward Palms, there was a party. A shooting happened at the party. Persons are now leaving. The description is unknown as to where the rounds may have come from. But all the cars that were at the party have now been stopped to be searched. And so that's what this amendment provides, that the commissioner and his executive team, based on their investigation information at the time, can set up a barrier 
for no longer than 24 hours to conduct their investigation once an incident has happened in an area. But speak to the public a little bit more Mm -hmm. on that, in that many would view this as giving the police wide discretion. And, of course, they have to use a discretion Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Daily basis, yes. But there is that concern among some members of the community that individuals might take this too far. Personally, I have absolutely no concern because, like I say, search me any time if it needs to be. So we want to not be blind to the concerns that the general public would have. All police officers are trained. So I think we always have to look at it from that standpoint. They're trained in to determine what is reasonable in their actions. But what this amendment provides is that there is an instruction from the commissioner of the of police and his executive team. So what cannot happen is that an officer who's at a party where the incident has happened decides to barricade the road. And so persons who were also at the event that the incident happened are now stopped in search. That cannot happen. And so I know the concern is about officers using their discretion, but this amendment squarely puts it at the top of the organization, and that information and instruction must come from the commissioner of police. Stick a pen. Mm -hmm. There are some who contend that once a police, always a police. Yes. So whether you're in uniform or not, just like at that party, Mm -hmm. and if that police officer sees something untoward. Yes. Uh, can't he spring into action? He can spring into action within the scope of his normal training. But what he cannot do is stop people from moving and leaving the scene without a clear instruction from the commissioner of police. Because remember, we have a right of movement in our Constitution. And so if we are to have that right diminished or taken away for a moment then it needs to have a clear path in which that right is, do- is taken away. And so that's what this amendment provides. Yes, he can spring in action. He could call for backup. He can say, you know, we would like everyone to stay put. He can arrest persons if his knowledge base and training provides that this is the group of persons who's committed the offense. So he's able to do all of that. But what he would not be able to do without authorization based on this amendment to his ordinance is stop all of us who may be seeking to move away from the scene. Speaking about that, too, I guess a lot of us are influenced by what we see in the United States. On TV. (laughs) (laughs) Right. This whole idea, for instance, about a police having to identify himself Mm -hmm. before he hardly even speak to you properly <laughs> I think it's, because of that. I think it's a good practice and they should do it because we are a melting pot now and we have officers from everywhere around the world that's now in the police force and I just think it's good sense for an, a police officer to say my name is Sergeant XYZ because as humans we naturally react positively to authority So with that authority that a police officer has, I'm likely to stop and listen to Sergeant so-and-so versus a gentleman or a lady, because we have some amazing women officers as well, coming to me and saying, sit down, turn around, put your hands behind your back. Why? You know, immediately, why are you stopping me? I, I have a right, a human right of movement that has been given to me by the Constitution. 
And so whether it's in the ordinance or not, I think it's a good practice, but I do believe it's in their training manuals that they do identify themselves because that's how they take control of the scene in the room as well. Yeah. So that's where we are with the whole issue, second issue, that criminals do not sit still and we needed to give greater powers to the police to be able to stop the movement of persons when a criminal activity and or incident has taken place, but it has to be triggered by the Commissioner of Police and his executive team, so it cannot be abused. So issue number three. Before you go to mm-hmm. issue number three, may I interject, though? Of course. You make this thing sound so simple and straightforward. I'm trying to because it, it has to be palatable for everyone who's listening. I could get real technical and real legal, but that's not going to benefit your listeners. Well, you're being an excellent teacher, if I may Thank say you. that. But the thing about it, you see, now, this is where I often knock your government. Mm-hmm. Because your PR is not what it ought to be. I agree with you. And we said that the last show, and I thought it would have gotten better by now. But it's a work in progress. I would say we do have an amazing deputy director of communications who have now come on board. They are recruiting further communication officers. See, as a minister, I can't do PR as well. I can't figure out how to get my message out because there isn't enough time in the day. And maybe that's why I use social media, Instagram only, as my means of getting my regular message out because it's easy for me to do. But I look forward to the next few weeks of the unit being formalized and having more of this sort of opportunity to provide information and exchange with the public that's beyond just sitting in town hall meetings. Because I think I think we're town hall meeting out. Despite that, please attend the premier town hall meetings that are coming up. I will be there. Can you are you in a position to I'm de- always in a position whether or not I choose <laughs> to uh, answer. <laughs> to be to debunk what has been circulated about government recruiting someone from abroad to be director of communication because really that does not sit well with mm-hmm. the public. Well, I can't debunk anything save in, and say that the job is still being advertised. So it hasn't been filled, Okay, if that's the case. It's, I, it may be even in the most recent release from the Office of the Deputy Governor Public Service Recruitment. They have such okay. a long name. Okay, great. Um, to all of my listeners and viewers at the appropriate time you'd be able to call into the one nine hundred number I'm, I'm mindful so that's why i'm like okay we, yeah. we only have four issues no, left because no, i saw <laughs> a, a call on my phone oh, okay. and we're not accepting any calls on my okay. private phone later on mm-hmm. you may whatsapp which i can read don't no voicemail because i don't have yeah. the time to listen to that all right mm-hmm. uh, continue I'll be okay brilliant so we have tackled firearms With those amendments, we have tackled giving the police more tools in order to conduct their duties and investigations. And so now we need to protect witnesses. So we have amended the firearm-related offenses, detention, and bail ordinance. And now we have created the firearm-related offenses, detention, and bail ordinance 2022. Now, the reason these amendments were made was that constitutionally and in our legislation, if you are arrested by the police, you are to have your judicial first day as expeditiously as possible, within reason. So if you're arrested on a Friday, 
We know the courts are not open Saturday and Sunday. By Monday morning, you should be presented before the magistrate or released on bail, police bail or court bail. So in firearm-related incidences where witnesses really take a while to come forward for fear, it's a small community. Sometimes we find ourselves buying food in areas where an incident has happened, and now you are a witness to an incident. That wasn't your intention. It's not a place you're normally at, but you heard they had some good fried chicken down there, and you went and bought the fried chicken. And now your life is kind of frozen because you want to help society by being a witness and providing the information, but you're also concerned that the person they have arrested knows you and knows where to find you. And they may interfere with you. So in firearm-related offenses only. So these are the high-powered weapon offenses. These are any shooting incidences that happen. A suspect can be detained for up to six days. Now, that's shock and horror. But let me explain what and how the six days is achieved. Because that is an absolute maximum. And so it has to be so serious of an incident because they're all serious but one that is so bad that you need to hold the suspect a little longer in order for the police to conduct their necessary investigation as well as maybe get information from the witnesses get them to come forward and or protect the witnesses and give time to have them be relocated and protected so the way how this happens it's offenses that relate to firearm and murder or homicide as it's legally defined in our legislation. The officer can detain the suspect for the first 48 hours and not charge them. That's within our law. That's allowed. So that's two days. If suspects need to be detained longer, then they need authorization from the commissioner of police that would add one more day. So that's 72 hours without being charged. If they need further detaining in order to protect witnesses, gather more information, provide an avenue for the movement of witnesses or the protection of evidence, sometimes you need to send the evidence off or secure it even more, an application needs to be made to the court that this person needs to be detained for a further period of time. And so there's three steps that this amendment has created. Your normal police operations of 48 hours can be extended to 72, which will give you three days before you see a judge. But if at the end of the three days, the, the police officer or those in charge are not in a position to charge you with an offense, that is give you the long paper, write your name on, say you're in breach of section, whatever the section is, on this day you did X, Y, Z, you sign it, this is your bail amount. If they're not in a position to give you that document and officially charge you and take you to the magistrate's court, which is the first court of incident, then they make an application to the court. So you're still going to be held in custody. They'll make an application to the court for further time to detain you. And the court would decide yes or no whether you should continue to be detained without charge. And so that's what this ordinance is seeking to do. 
Now, because there is a presumption of innocence until proven guilty, yes. uh, there are those who would contend that prolonging that period uh, may be very well sort of infringing on that person's rights. Mm-hmm. And I could imagine some brilliant lawyers challenging that. Of course. So we get um, paid to do. <laughs> Uh, could you clear the air on that a little bit more for me? If it is the case that a suspect is detained and goes through this process and a decision is made that there is no charge, there's insufficient evidence, and they go through the process, meaning they've attended the magistrate's court, they've been charged, the investigation concludes, the paperwork is sent to the office of the DPP, they prosecute the individual, they're found not guilty. They're movement has not been infringed because the offense for which this ordinance relates to are some of the most heinous ones that we have. Homicide, murder, manslaughter, shooting offenses related to high-powered firearms and or firearms. And so that initial delay, as long as it's reasonable, and that is always going to be the test, what is reasonable. So, for example, an incident has happened in Long Bay, The person with the AK-47, we can identify them. They've been caught on cameras from the neighbors, not the police, not CCTV, but the neighbors' cameras. Clear as day, where you can see the sweat beating on their face, but the neighbors refuse to release the footage to the police. The police need to make an application to the court. So they're still not in a position to, to charge the person yet. But they have stuff that needs to be done. They get the video footage. It's clear as day. It is person X with the AK-47 who did whatever was done. Continue on, move the matter forward through the normal criminal channels. But during that period, an application to hold that person for 72 hours, three days, was made and granted. I'm just thinking along, um, Honorable Minister. Perhaps it might serve the public well if we sort of break after each section and entertain calls in the light that many might have forgotten Mm -hmm. if they didn't make notes, you know, along the way uh, when they get there. I'm happy to do that. So if you are, then I am going to suggest... But we have to restrict it only because I think you're going to get a lot of calls about the next two Okay, good. Issues, yeah. Well, what I will do then, I'll just give the number, one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. Are there anyone with, is there anyone with um, a comment, a question on those ordinances that we've already gone through? It is your time now. Remember, it's just a brief opportunity. Uh, we do this, we make this change uh, to benefit you. So yes. make use of it. Because like I always say, when it's all over, don't come asking Robert Hall. I'm not the lawyer. I'm not the minister. Not the lawmaker. <laughs> all right, I obey the law. That's it. The number to call is one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. Otherwise, if you have a question you wanted to um, WhatsApp me, then you can do so two four four seventy three thirty two. That's right. Sometimes I forget my own number. <laughs> we have a caller. Uh, good morning, caller. You're the first for the day. Welcome. Good morning, Honorable Hall. Good morning, Honorable AK. How you doing? This is Honorable Belia here. I just just uh, for... a minute. Let me get this headphone on. 
Good morning, caller. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning, Honorable Hall. Good morning, Honorable AK. Colleague, how are you? Honorable Belia here. I just called to highlight a little error so it doesn't go too far. As it relates caller, to are you there? Can you hear me? Yes, I'm hearing you now. Okay. Uh, Mr. Hall, I just called to highlight a little minor error before it goes too far. Yeah, I, I just got Willen's message. Yes. Go and ahead, Willen. To the mandatory minimum. So you get my message? <laughs> yes, but go ahead. Yes, the mandatory minimum, as you know, was changed to 12 years yeah. uh, during the uh, House of Assembly debates. And I thank you for the wonderful work you are doing, Honorable Key. It's very uh, timely and wish you the best as you continue to explain this to all people. So thank you. Thank you, Honorable Willen. I really appreciate you. And yes, during the committee stage, they went higher. So I'll read the official mandatory minimums for the first legislation that I explained. It was replacing 7 and 15. So the minimum with a firearm, I said, was 10. It was increased to 12 in the House of Assembly. And the minimum that I said was 10 that moved to 18 has now increased to 20. So that's the high-powered firearms. And yes, that was done on the floor of the House, which meant that the members of Parliament were definitely working. There was no rubber stamping of any of this legislation. Uh, thanks much. You see, that's why it's good to have another lawyer listening or to, and or to have another member of the House listening. Yes. I always challenge them to listen in and participate. The number to call is one 900 22220007 30 seconds for the next call otherwise we're moving on we got lots of stuff on the stove cooking today <laughs> <laughs> yes wherever you are throughout the Turks and Caicos Islands and of course good morning to members of the diaspora wherever you are remember there is a seat at the table for you, at least your own expressions. So do feel part of it. Well, we shall move on. Excellent. So issue number four, Mr. Hall and listeners, and thank you to everyone who has messaged me since we've been on and said, keep it going. And maybe there needs to be a show independently about it where we're just explaining legislation that's going through the house in this style and fashion i don't know how many more hats i can wear but you know i'm here to serve so i'll do my best well i will tell you i'm not <laughs> suggesting that expressions is the only show in town uh, but as often as you give us due notice I would be happy and i'm sure rtc be happy to entertain you yeah it's just finding the time Mr. Hall, the time. But we, we will figure it out. We have a new communications office. I'm sure they will schedule me in to do what I do and ensure that I am given an opportunity to continue to help the people of these amazing islands understand what their members of parliament is doing for them. So we are now going to talk about an uncomfortable subject, Mr. Hall, but one that has found its way neatly into our community and society, but one that we cannot allow to continue to fester as it has grown over the years, and that is gangs 
and the proliferation of group behavior and activity that seeks to destroy and bring down society. And so this legislation that was created, brand new legislation, no amendment, is what is called the Anti-Gang Ordinance 2022. In that ordinance, we have taken the opportunity to adequately define what a gang is. There are more penalties for criminal activity that is conducted by gang members and even higher penalties for activity that is commissioned by gang leaders. There are also penalties in the legislation that prohibits the recruitment of members to gangs. We have defined our schools as off-limit zones for any form of gang activity and or recruitment. And during the debate, I encourage persons who want to feel part of a community, of an organization that has structure, leadership, and the ability to work together and develop a brotherhood or a sisterhood to join the Royal Turks and Caicos Islands Police Force or the Turks and Caicos Islands Regiment. If you're looking for that level of structure, if you're looking for that level of discipline, if you're looking for that level of serving a person, a leader, being part of a team, being part of a brotherhood or sisterhood, like I said, those are the two best groups that you should join and use those skills and talent and able-bodiedness to serve your country. And it would provide in this bill, well now this ordinance, that law enforcement have the ability to use intelligence to identify group behavior and determine whether or not it is gang behavior, gang related. There is also an offense, and I think that this is very important, that persons understand. There is also an offense of knowingly counseling, instructing, guiding, and financing. And I think that's the important part. Financing gang-related behavior, and that sort of financing can be linked to money laundering and proceeds of crime because they are being fueled by criminal behavior that is selling of narcotics, that is the trade of arms, the selling of guns, but it could also be using a storefront as a front to their operations. This gives the police force the ability to connect the dots. So again, using the written Long Bay, I have a little business up there where I sell snow cones to the tourists. But every deposit that I make into the bank is $5,000 for the day, consistently. Now, I know my snow cone's good, but they ain't $5,000 a day good, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm withdrawing $4,900 every other day. Yeah. So on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the snow cone business is depositing $5,000. On Tuesdays, Thursdays, it's banking open Saturday. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm withdrawing $4,900, and I'm giving it to person B, who the police have information, may be leading an organization or a gang, or has made certain purchases on the island 
of narcotics. And so you could trace that through this legislation and encapsulate everyone who's involved. And so I could be charged with an offense of financing a gang through this legislation. And so that's why I think it's very important we understand who we associate with by choice or by happenstance, who we're related to, whose packages we may carry to the airport because we're traveling that day. You have to be mindful of your surroundings and the company you keep is what my mother says because this legislation could now provide an opportunity for you to be roped in this gang behavior. Even though at no stage have you gone out there and worn the gang colors and had a turf war with Long Bay East versus Long Bay West, at no stage you have a storefront, I'm selling snow cones, but my snow cones is funding the activities of Gang B or Gang C. And so that's very important for us to understand and appreciate. Lastly, a big component of this ordinance is the offense of a person harboring or concealing a gang leader or gang member or tipping them off that an investigation is happening. So again, we know leaky ships or something sink ships, whatever that, that link, leaky lips sink ships. So this provision provides that if you knowingly tip off and again, using my snow cone business as uh, an example, and I don't sell snow cones. That's why it's absolutely ridiculous because I would eat them all. So I don't, I don't sell them. But using that as, as an example, police officer from financial crimes, moseys up to my snow cone business, says, you know, a red flag has popped up in the bank and a suspicious activity report was sent, which you're not supposed to tell people about, but it helps them conduct their investigation. So that's why my snow cone business is now under review. In my snow cone business, we could see my sales for the day equals $100, but yet I'm still depositing large sums of cash every other day and withdrawing large sums of cash every other day. That gang member or that person who I'm providing the funding to, if they come the day after the police have come and I said, boy, listen, heat on the business, the police watching us, I have just tipped them off and that is now an offense. So we again have to be mindful that we have a system and structure in place that we are going to tackle gang related activity and seek to squash it stomp our foot on it and make sure it doesn't continue to build and fester and then we have communities in in the Turks and Caicos Islands where certain people can't go for the fear of retaliation from group behavior and so that's part of what was created through the anti-gang legislation that we passed last month well earlier this month Now, I know, as you hinted earlier on, there may be those who are very much concerned about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, To use your illustration, I eat snow cones, but I don't sell them either. (laughs) Uh, But I was part of a business venture where I had a significant uh, amount deposited to my account. 
And of course, the bank called me to query it. Mm -hmm. So of course, I have nothing to hide. So I give them my explanation. Mm -hmm. And that was it. But um, there are many other persons who may feel, well, listen now, this is getting into my business a Mm. bit too much. So it's not getting into your business too much because it must be built on intelligence. And it always comes back to our favorite legal definition, reasonable. So there has to be reasonable suspicion that Akira Snowcone business is helping to fund the Long Bay East gang. So they're not just going to walk up and say, okay, Akira, let's, let's look at your accounts, what's going on with it. It has to be something that has been indicated. Maybe there's CCTV footage of me and the gang leader. We'll, we'll call him Jim, Jimbo, gang he leads the Long Bay East gang. Or we're known associates, meaning that previously, before I you know, went on the straight and narrow and started selling snow cones, maybe I was selling the other snow and I'm known to the police for that. And Jimbo and I are known associates. Or it could be based on pattern and behavior. Jimbo is about the size of 110 pounds, but yet he seems to be buying a lot of snow cones every single day. And so it's not just opening the door and saying, Robert Hall, I'm here to investigate you. It must be built on intelligence. And we have to trust that those who are here to serve and protect us have the training to build on intelligence that's provided to them or that they discover in their investigations. So it isn't just kick the door down. It is designed, it is reviewed, it is explored, and eventually investigated. Well, let me say humorously, I guess like many others, my accounts may be up today and down tomorrow. Yeah, but uh, that's certainly refunding no gag. Yeah. Uh, nothing like that. Uh, having given such a, a very succinct uh, explanation, then let me see if there's any yeah. query. Let me see if I get any on messages. This one one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. That's the number. Let's do it quickly, because, like you know, I always say, and they say, time like tired. Wait on no man. <laughs> I know a little bit about tide, having gotten on sandbanks and have to wait until the <laughs> tide flow. Oh, that's Sullenbush Bank going to South Caicos. I tell you, I caught hell there many times. <laughs> have to almost dig in the sand to create a path for the boat and mm-hmm. get out and push. Oh, boy. I recall those days when that was the only mode of transportation. Exactly. And you could could you imagine a pregnant woman leaving Middle Caicos, or for that matter, Provo, yeah, and have to sail up to Grand Turk to mm-hmm. go to doctor. And depending on where the wind was from Providenciales, it took them some time, four or five days. Oh, brutal. Absolutely you know, brutal. Awful, awful. Oh, I think one is bondage. And that's why I mm. always also uh, be thankful for those earlier legislators like the Gus Lightburns yes. and those. Truly because they fathers and the mothers same of this nation. Getting to Grand Turk. Yeah. And you know what? Although one may say it was relatives, what they got was mere pittance. Mm-hmm. But they did it. Service. You know? Come on. Yeah. 
Anyway, we're going to move on. Surprisingly, no calls uh, from that one. Right. So issue number five actually had seven small amendments made across legislation. So I'll, I'll go through the different amendments. But the purpose of the amendment was to address threats against various persons who would conduct their duties in any form of investigation. And so the legislation before these amendments had penalties and fines of $500, $2,500 if you threatened a police officer, if you threatened an uh, immigration officer, if you threatened a customs officer. And so what we sought to do in these amendments was to harmonize it and make it one style of penalty so that there could be consistency in the penalties that could be levied. And so the bills that were amended include the offenses against the person ordinance, the magistrate's court ordinance, the defense bill, the integrity commission ordinance, the immigration ordinance, and the House of Assembly ordinance. What we have done is introduce higher penalties for anyone who's obstructing, assaulting, or threatening police officers immigration officers, integrity commission investigative officers, officers of the TCI regiment, officers of the court, whether that's the judge, the magistrate, the clerk, the bailiff, the attorney on either side, because we've had incidences where defendants have threatened the lives of their own lawyers in a heated moment. Now, sometimes you could say that that was emotion because they may have been found guilty and for whatever reason they shouted out what they did. But we don't want a society where you can continuously do that. And we also increase the offenses as it relates to members of parliament, the speaker and the clerk and officers of the House of Assembly. And so these penalties are now fined up to $20,000 and sentencing of up to seven years imprisonment for threats, obstructing, assaulting police officers, immigration officers, investigative officers, and the likes. Judges, magistrates, attorneys, etc. Of course, it becomes every police officer to conduct himself or herself in a professional manner. Yes. But mm -hmm. to tell you the truth, what I have observed, some policemen to have to put up with. Mm. People up in their faces are violating their space, putting finger in their face. Yes. If I was an officer, those individuals would be on the ground a long time. Believe you me. I understand, and that's Gosh. why they're trained not to react to those sorts of provocations, to be honest with you. Because, again... If a police officer who has the authority when they walk in a room or they walk on a scene, they are the police officer. So they have a right to instruct us to do certain things within their reasonable suspicion of what we have done during that time. But when persons yell at them, shout, put their finger in their face, their training kicks in to not take that personally until they are physically touched when they must now react in a manner which they're trained to do so. That is to stop the person from their continued behavior. 
whether that's arresting them, whether that's having them sit on the ground, whether that's just having them put their arms behind their back or placing them in the backseat of a police vehicle. They are trained to not have an emotional reaction, which you and I would have if someone violated our space, but to have a reasonable, sensible, and trained reaction in detaining individuals. I will read a WhatsApp. It mm-hmm. might have been for something that was said early on. Okay. It is said, good morning. Would these guns laws be in force? Because the law before said mandatory seven years, yet persons who were brought before the court got off with no time spent for guns offenses. I'm not sure which matters those are, because if persons were found guilty and the sentencing provision was in place, the judiciary have an obligation to to use the laws that are provided. If it's the case that the persons were acquitted, that means they weren't found guilty, or the judge dismissed the matter because of lack of evidence on a half-time submission, or if the matter was dismissed because it wasn't prepared, then that could be the reason persons were let were released from remand during that time. It doesn't mean that they cannot be charged again. So the enforcement of these laws come into play when persons are arrested. Now, the police are very adamant. They would do a better job of arresting persons for any form of offense if we, the citizens of Turks and Caicos, the residents, the visitors, would communicate and provide them information. And yes, I understand that in a small community, we are hesitant to get involved. We gonna gossip. We gonna gossip. Let's be honest. But we're hesitant to get involved and provide the information to the police. But that's why Crime Stoppers is there. And we have seen how they operate. They do not know Akira Misik from Robert Hall. We are a voice on a coded call that is encrypted. And the information is then sent here to our Royal Turks and Caicos Islands police officers for them to review and determine whether or not a tip is sufficient for them to investigate. And I think that is the best mechanism we could use in a small society to get the information to the police. Now, when it's time for the actual hearing, we as a society, through the DPP's office, need to be prepared for all the tricks and tips my defense attorneys and the islands will have because the law landscape is changing around the world when it comes to case law in the Commonwealth. And so I think we just need to be sometimes a little more armed, not to use that probably the worst sort of allegory I could have used in this instant, but we need to be further prepared more than our friends across the bar who are defense attorneys. And I think that that's where we could do a better job. And so that support is coming. We're getting three senior prosecutors from the United Kingdom. They may already be here because they are going to provide further in-depth training for our prosecutors in this suite of legislation. There will be further training for our police officers, our regiment officers, as it relates to this suite of legislation. So there will be more training. There will be more knowledge transfer and development and hopefully more prosecutions that result in guilty verdicts. And then we start the rehabilitation portion of the offender's life through 
the Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections. So sorry, it's a long answer, but I do think it was one that needed to be ventilated. Like Ernie Clark was saying, I'd rather to see a guilty man walk free than an innocent man go to jail. Exactly. Now, there are times, like I said to my boys under the tree, that you may know you have your man, but proving that is another matter. Yeah. Sometimes the evidence is just not adequate. And that perhaps is why many individuals end up have to walk. Now, you said it in a very mild and polished way, <laughs> but the public <laughs> is not as kind mm. with regards to the number of cases that the DB, DPP seem to be losing. Mm. Uh, many where either time has elapsed and uh, insufficient information and so on. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the public is glad to hear that there will be fur further training. Mm -hmm. Now, I am not in a position to question the skills and abilities of those who are there. Mm -hmm. But perhaps it also so says uh, something about our recruitment methods. Well, I will say this, and I will get in trouble for saying this, but you will? Yeah, YOLO. Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I'll defend you. Go Thank on, you kindly. It. Thank you kindly. But we do not pay our lawyers well in the public sector. We do not. And the reason why we do not do that is for some unpalatable reason for me, and maybe I'm biased because I am a lawyer. The pay and grade system in the public sector, I think, doesn't provide an opportunity in the technical skilled areas like law, like medicine, like engineering to recruit and pay and maintain and sustain the operations. So, for example, I'm a lawyer of 16 years trained qualifications and compound that by the fact that I've been a legislator, which meant I create laws or have created laws for the last 10 years. So any of this legislation, if I go back into private practice, the judge and I, the judge can't row with me because I'll say, well, actually, I sat in the chamber when it was done and this was the intention of the House of Assembly. So I am even further compounded with 16 years of practice, 10 years of creating legislation. My value in the private sector is $250,000 annually annually. That's base pay. That's your value. That's my value. And that's what I was you're, paid you're, you're not, you're not, you're, in the private not, sector. Are you divulging that's what you make? I don't make that anymore. I said the private sector. When you were sector, in the private sector. When I was in the private sector. So that you're making my a value. tremendous sacrifice then. To yes, be I'm here to serve, but I'm, I'm not 40 yet. Don't worry. I can catch myself and my good <laughs> sense in the right. next few years. Well, I mean, I know that the private sector, uh, the legal profession is lucrative, yeah. but quite frankly, I didn't realize it was that lucrative. Yes. The only thing I'm seven to one. It's never too late. I, I'd go. <laughs> it's never too late. So I, I say that because obviously the entire public sector cannot yes. afford to pay 
their lawyers $250,000 right. annually. Right. It just it can never happen. I, I don't care how much money we make, it would not be deemed reasonable. Because what I was going to qualify about the private sector is that we have the ability to get bonuses. So the harder you work, your clients like your work, they pay you, you get a cut of it. And so that's why your total package could be 250,000. Now, are w- lawyers walking around in the private sector making 250,000 every year? No, it depends on the industry for which you are practicing it. You and could have cali- some and the caliber of the individual. And the caliber. But the industry because you you could be a bad lawyer in in, in an industry that's very lucrative and still get paid that that way. I've seen it. Like, you know, I I've seen it. We, I wonder if we have some. <laughs> I, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, okay? Not touching it with a 10-foot pole. Just as an aside, yeah, I see the Bar happen. Association is tightening up on the legislation to you, deal with some you, of those deviants. You noticed that, right? <laughs> yeah. And there was obviously a reason why we need to tighten it up and remind people of our ethical code and standards okay. that we subscribe to. From law school and that we are to implement every day in our practice. So I say all of that to say, if you compare the annual salary of our senior officers in the AG's chambers or the DPP's office, they are making just under $100,000 if you add all the extras to it. So that is a good pay when you are an admin officer. You're like, wow, this person is being paid so much more than me. But we're not paying them because we like them. The technical detail skill that they bring to the table of prosecuting or drafting legislation or creating responses to commercial negotiation and, and agreements and advising cabinet and advising ministries, it is technical. And so until we start really recognizing that level of technical ability that lawyers bring to the table and pay the value of it, you can't pay the private sector value because it's taxpayers' money. We're all paid from the, from the public purse. But you need to increase the attractiveness to the value of those technical areas. And when I get a chance to lobby publicly for my engineers and my architects, I will do the same thing because... Whilst we keep hearing lawyers and doctors, our engineers, our road engineers, our architects, our planning team members, they are all valued technical skills that we need to build this country. And without them, we're unable to build it. Uh, I have a comment here. Mm -hmm. And this person says, good morning, Brother Hall. It is not the laws. It is the prosecution. Too many poor cases being presented to the courts. Then he goes on to say, pay grade is irrelevant. It is competence and ability. You attract competence and ability and passion is in all of us when we go to law school. We all want to do well. We all want to serve well. But without continued training and good guidance, then you may fall through the crack. And so I'm not criticizing the DPP's office at all. I know they've had challenges with recruitment. I know we've had challenges with recruitment in the Attorney General's chambers. But I do believe that we do have good, hardworking team members and lawyers in both offices. And they are doing their best, but they need more support. And sometimes financial incentive does help. And I will not say that they shouldn't be paid more because they should be. 
Well, we've been talking for a little over an hour. Imagine that. I'm going to need me some more coffee, Chris. You know. <laughs> Where the pot? So uh, what I'm going to do, I'll take a little break <laughs> and ask uh, my technical operator up there uh, to just play a little interlude of music. I'm not sure she'll get some coffee or water, but at least she has the time to rest her throat. All right, so sit back wherever you are, and don't leave us, because we will be back in just a matter of minutes. Welcome back to Expressions, the People's Program. Comes to you every Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, except on special holidays or when the House or its committees are meeting. I want to say good morning to Brown Sugar over there in Florida, to Cheryl Garland, uh, Nicolette Greenwich, I believe, somewhere down in the Eastern Caribbean, uh, Jonathan Gardner, one of our most uh, frequent listeners and callers. Uh, I want to say good morning to the Honorable Willen Billard, who I know has, is really locked in uh, to this program. Uh, to Miss Lucanne Francis over there in Grand Turk, Angela Williams, uh, Chrissy Pratt, uh, to Miss Camilla Flanagan over there in the United States of America. I think somewhere down the line, the tourist board should give this lady a plaque. <laughs> Could you believe it? She has been to Turks and Caicos 15 times. Wow. Got to be something special here, I tell you. Uh, good morning to Ms. Jasmine Thomas, uh, Reverend Julia Williams, my good friend Adele Branch and uh, Lillian Mizick. Uh, good morning to the Honorable Karen Delancey, Sharon Whitaker, and uh, Linville Hall. My Jamaican cousin, since he's a <laughs> now I live in the States. And to Mr. Arthur Ashton, a good morning to you all. My guest today is the Honorable Akira Mizek. Thank you for your participation thus far, and let's hope you'll have some more questions and comments as we proceed. There are about two more bills. Mm -hmm. Please go right ahead. Excellent. So uh, Ordinances, rather. Yes. So we are back in action. And the last two issues may encourage callers. So we will see how we get on with that. So issue number six that we had to address is the anonymity of the criminal. So criminal operatives are organized. And we touched on anti-gang earlier in our discussion. The anti-gang legislation to stop them from continuously growing, squash them, and be done with them. But we are now in a position where we have access to telecommunication resources. We live on our phones and, you know, maybe we spend too much time on our phones and behind our computer screens, but nonetheless, they have become an appendage and part of life. But the ease of access to obtain a phone in this country and or a SIM card, which would provide you the data and the calling capabilities is very accessible. And some would say that is great because a country that has access to telecommunications is meeting a sustainable development goal for 2030 as set by the United Nations. But the challenge that we have and why we have now created the Telecommunications Amendment 
ordinance is that this will now require providers of telecommunication services a requirement to have photographic identification and a registration form for every SIM. That's a little chip you put in your phone that they sell. And there must be an electronic database so that a number can be identified as who the holder of said number is. We have to give credit where credit is due. When you do obtain a new cell phone or communication network device, because you can have the Wi-Fi as well and you can communicate over that, you are registered, you do fill out the form, you do take a photographic ID, but it is not placed in an electronic database that is accessible to law enforcement and law investigative arms of government or the country. And so that amendment, which was very small, makes it now a mandatory requirement that every SIM card that is purchased is registered. How does this help the police? Again, Akira Snow Cone Company all of a sudden has a purchase in at a telecommunications company for 17 SIM cards. Again, Akira Snow Cone Company sells snow cones, but now is registered as the owner of 17 SIM cards. Akira Snow Cone Company has two employees. One of the phones was found at the scene of a crime. The number was checked. It goes back to Akira Snow Cone Company. Akira Snow Cone Company was seen in the vicinity, well, Akira, the owner of the Snow Cone Company, was seen in the vicinity an hour before the incident happened. So it provides the police a tracking tool to move around the islands and investigate. And so that's the purpose of that amendment, to find Akira who has purchased these SIM cards under the Snow Cone Company, but one of the phones has now ended up in evidence at the scene of a crime where a firearm incident has taken place. Now the police can investigate Akira as to why her phone that she purchased and was registered to her was at the scene of a crime, and she better have a good alibi too, or else she going in cuffs. <laughs> Well, I have a text from the Deputy Premier, and he says he thinks that we have got all of the MPs listening. We do? Uh, if hey, that, guys. If that is so, that is great. Um, I wonder if it is because the Honorable Minister is doing such a great job. <laughs> or, is it that they, or is it that they see that I am such an easygoing host? Yes. And I just want to remind some of the MPs, I'm still waiting on some of you, including ministers. Just come on. And we'll have a nice chat just like I'm doing right now with the Honorable AK. All right? Uh, please do that. Yeah. Now, uh, someone else text to say, good morning. Enjoying the conversations. Congratulations to the legislature, leaders on the recent passage of laws that I'm sure can only enhance public safety. However, it would be necessary to ensure that the sentencing guidelines mm -hmm. of the judiciary mm -hmm. match the laws. Yes. And so during our consultation, 
on all of this legislation, especially the ones that increase penalties. We had discussions, and not me personally, but the drafters as well as the National Secretariat Security, the NSS, because us government just full of acronyms. It's driving me crazy. I never remember half of these things. <laughs> I know they full name, but then the acronyms just throw me off, you know. But the discussion with the judiciary did take place, and we did receive support from her ladyship, the chief justice, as well as the other senior judges and magistrates as it related to the offenses here. What I am advised as well is that the sentencing guidelines that was underway and being developed by, I think it was Justice Shiraz Aziz, who has now left the island and returned to the United Kingdom, will have these provisions included in them, and there will be further training for all the judiciary on some of this legislation, because the next one we're going to touch is the one that was the most complicated one, the interception of communication, which is so new to these islands, is something that the region is addressing now. And so we definitely need to equip our lawyers, our police officers, and our judicial officers with the tools so that they can understand and implement and enforce the legislation that is before them. I have a comment here, and I believe it goes back to when you mentioned the salaries that the private sector is earning versus what uh, the public sector mm -hmm. lawyers were earning. And it says, I think education, educators are underpaid. I agree with it that. It is the market. Imagine me if the poorly paid educators said our students were failing because they are being underpaid. Mm -hmm. Imagine. No, and yeah. that's not the excuse that I was using. In no way, shape, or form. That was not the excuse I was using. And I agree, educators should be paid more. And when I was the Minister of Education, during the pay and grading review, we had increased the entry-level salary as well as other-level salaries in education because we saw that they were being paid lower than the skill sets that they brought to the table. And there is a global public sector review that is underway by the, by the deputy governor's office for a salary review and implementation. Things have to happen in stages because at the end of the day, government covers the entire gambit of the Turks and Caicos Islands. That's social services through education, through health care, through communication, through transportation through port authority, through airports. We have to cover that. Then we have to break it down and go into the individual homes to bolster and assist those that cannot assist themselves. Then we have to look at the migration of Turks and Caicos Islanders out of the country and the migration into the country, the immigration into the country to fill vacancies in different levels and different places. And so I would love to say that the Turks and Caicos was in a vacuum and any government could address every issue immediately, but it doesn't work that way. We are visionaries as ministers, we are policy makers, <clears throat> but we need the technical support to get our vision translated into policy, but then it needs to be implemented. So I am not saying that the reason the prosecutors in the Turks and Caicos Islands have lost cases because they're not paid well. 
I would never say that because, as I said, as lawyers, we come into this wanting to do our job and do it to the best of our ability. What I am saying is that to attract the more senior level prosecutors who would have the experience in these sorts of offenses. Remember, we've just created some new offenses through legislation. Then you may need to look at the pay package to attract them more. And those that are presently in the system provide more training. And if you're going to put more on their shoulders, then you should pay them more as well. So that is my argument in that regard. I used to be the holder of a firearm. Okay. But I... Mm-hmm. That's what life you was living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I listen. Sit but I home. surrendered it. Mm. Wise man. If I or any other individual wants to apply mm-hmm. for a firearm, what is the process? Brilliant. So thank you for the question. And I'm aware that that is a very hot topic because that's a lot of the questions on the WhatsApp status today. The process for applying for a firearm is... Firstly, you need to sit and really think whether or not you need a firearm and what do you need this firearm for. And don't just say protection. What are your threat risks that you are protecting yourselves from? First question. Second question, are you prepared, and this is all before you fill out the application form, are you prepared to pull the trigger when the time comes and end someone's life? That's the second question you need to ask yourself because that is what the power of a firearm can do. You de facto become God. And you need to wrestle with that in your mind, genuinely, whether or not you want that level of responsibility in your hands. If you decide on the first that there is no other form of mitigation to protect yourself and your business, and you agree with the second that you are prepared to end someone's life if the need arise and is justified, then you obtain an application form from the armory or the tactical unit department and the police force at their office. The form requires you to complete it and you need to state why you are seeking a firearm license, what business and industry you may be in, what sort of behavior you conduct that could put you and your threat level at a higher threat level. And then you need two reference letters from Justice of the Peace in the islands to your character. You need a police record to ensure that you have no untoward or any criminal offenses and charges over a period of time because there is a process that can clean up your your record and the creation of spent convictions. You then also need to have a home visit, which would be conducted by the police force, tactical unit. You need to purchase a safe and ensure that it is drilled down and in a location that can be easy access if needs be, but also safe for those that may also live with you in your home. You need the consent, written consent of the adults that live in the home as well, and they may be vetted. There is also a psychological questionnaire that is provided, again, to determine your temperament. You don't want hot-headed people with no gun. And so that has to also be done. You present your package 
with your supporting documents, your fingerprints that will be taken at headquarters, your psychological review, your home inspection review, as well as your police record to the commissioner of police or whoever's collecting the documents at the office. It then is reviewed by the commissioner and his executive team on whether or not you have presented the case sufficiently to now be provided a licensed firearm in the islands. If the answer is yes, the determination would be made of which level of firearm you would hold. There are two levels. There is a keep level where you can only keep the firearm in your primary residence or your business, but it is not to travel on the road with you, save for two times a year. One, when you take it to have it renewed because we have to discharge a shell uh, um, around to track the marking because every firearm has a distinct marking. You are permitted to travel with it that day for renewal and then travel with it back. And you must take the shortest route possible from your home or business to the police station and back. That is a keep license. There's a keep and carry license where now you need two safes. If it's especially business related, one at home, you should also get a car safe, so three. But I know money could be a bit tight. One at, at the business, they have to vet the business to make sure that any adults that could access the safe, it's prohibited that you only have access to it. And that firearm you are allowed to wear in your holster or in your leg holster or put it in your vehicle, but it must not sleep in a vehicle. It must sleep in either one of the safes, safes at your home, especially if you live with people. And so that is the process. It is a long process, but it is a very important process because as I said, the second thing you need to consider if you wanna be a firearm holder is whether or not I am prepared to discharge around and end someone's life. And if you answer that question in the affirmative, then go through the process. Well, I can speak a little bit as a former owner of a firearm. Mm -hmm. In fact, I am supposed to check the police station because I surrendered that gun, and that gun is about as old as I am. Nice. So it's a so that should be antique item. now. Yeah. Yeah. So I should check them. What happened to that? Mm -hmm and uh, perhaps sell it on eBay. Well, I wasn't going to say sell it. I was going to say <laughs> let them remove the firing pin, let them give it back to you, and you could put it on your wall with a nice little plaque of the history of it. But then they may say it could be used as imitation firearm. Well, see, that's a whole other argument. But if yes. they remove the pin and they disable it, that it cannot be changed. So it could yeah, I, I be resined. Yeah. Set in the resin, and then you know it's 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 history. Uh, yeah, and we put it in the museum. Yeah, but I must say, when I had it, and uh, again, you made a very important point: temperament. Yes. Because let me tell you, when you have a firearm, you feel bolder than you ever. Are. And if you don't be careful, some matters that you can easily walk away from. <sighs> yeah. Immediately, you're feeling your side for that piece. Yeah. And I tell you, I had some interesting encounters. Actually, having to discharge it once. Mm -hmm. I had a restaurant, and it was broken into seven times. Oh, wow. I got tired of the policeman coming and telling me, look like somebody been in. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided to be my own detective. Mm -hmm. 
and pardon, pardon the illustration and string. So I guess I watched too many movies. <laughs> so I rehearsed this thing, man. Oh, jingles. And uh, I hit this night in question because I had already narrowed the time down mm-hmm. to between mm-hmm. 12 midnight and 2 a.m. Okay. So I decided mm-hmm. I was going to park my car in a narrow street but where I could see where the restaurant was. Okay. And believe you me, at 10 minutes to 2, I saw this dark figure Sad movie. walking to the buildings. Mm-hmm. And I saw when he went to one of the windows, did some action, mm-hmm. and got in. Mm-hmm. And I always left my lights on. And having rehearsed this, I took my shoes off and <laughs> ran up bare feet. Uh-huh. Because I had to tell some policeman one uh-huh. time who I gave some tips about somebody trying to break in Timco. Okay. And they walk in with these police boots, you bram, bram, bram. Mm-hmm. And the fellas run, mm-hmm. <laughs> ran, you know. But anyway, so I walked up to my building, and there was this guy breaking open the slot machines. Hmm. But the way he was crouched, I only had a clear headshot, and no way could I shoot a man yeah. in the head. So you shouldn't have had that firearm. You know, what's that? You shouldn't have had that firearm. Well. Because you have to, that, and that's why I say that's the second test. If you are prepared to shoot someone and end their life in the head, that's why you should have a fire. Right. And that's why I said I didn't do that. Yeah. yeah. But yes, I fired a shot mm-hmm. at him. I let him know that Robert Hall was present and seeing everything. Because oh, I knew he was the type who would say, like the song, the guy named say, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Shaggy, eh? <laughs> but anyway, the long and short, I was able to take him to court and mm-hmm. got a div- conviction. Good. And just as an aside, with the use of that same firearm, <laughs> I braved three guys uh-huh. who had held up a lonely policeman. Oh, wow. Put a gun to his head. Wow. He dashed out of the station. Mm-hmm. I took him to his superior, Mm -hmm. went back to the station, and fortunately I did. Of course, I fired a shot in the air, Mm -hmm. and uh, by that time, the culprits, one of them, had taken off their masks, Mm -hmm. so I was able to identify. Mm. And that was a successful case again. Went to court, Mm -hmm. I gave evidence, they were convicted. But anyway, it's not intended to pick up myself. Yeah. That's history. Mm-hmm. But I'm only saying a, a weapon could be useful and mm-hmm. emboldens you, yeah. but you've got to be so careful yes. how you use it. Yes. So I agree with you. Think twice. Yes. Or maybe thrice mm-hmm. when you are considering application for a firearm. Yes. So that's my advice there. So I'm mindful of time. I'm going to touch on the last significant piece of legislation that we created. I'll do it very quickly in case there are calls or any other messages because I don't want to exclude anyone from this conversation. So the last ordinance that we created is called the Interception of Communication Ordinance. I will tell you what this ordinance is not instead of telling you what it is. This ordinance is not the ability for us to just spy on any and everyone because we want to. What this ordinance does is it creates the legal framework for the lawful interception of communication, whether that's shortwave, whether that's messaging, email, 
um, calls, etc. It makes it an offense, which is already an offense internationally around the world, that provides that the communication seizing in the Turks and Caicos Islands must follow a specific structure and framework which the ordinance provides. The ordinance also provides how the interception of the communication is done, but then what happens to the communication once it's intercepted. And it provides the framework for the retention, so that's keeping the information that was intercepted, and how the communication can be acquired. So that are the various devices and equipment that can be used in this regard, how they are registered, how they are allowed to be imported in the islands, and who is licensed to use them. And last but not least, it also provides the framework for the international use of the interception of communication that may be taking place in these islands through the issuance of international warrants mutual assistance warrants, and targeted equipment interference warrants. Now, an example of that would be we have a baddie from terrorist group B that's hiding out on one of the beautiful private islands that we have throughout the islands, you know, because we don't have no baddies in Leeward and Long Bay. We just got the best people in the entire world, only good people living up there. So no baddies, and I'm not going to use Leeward and Long Bay as the home of terrorists, a bad man. Okay, Only good good people living up there? Uh, Good people all over Turks Island, but the best people, the best people live in Leeward and Long Bay. Now, okay. you know, we ain't, we ain't gonna fight, but it's been 10 years. It's been 10 years of me doing this. We ain't gonna fight that one. Good. So, Batty is in Private Island B, and the communication that was found in the United Kingdom that was communicated to America, this is how the Batty ended up in Turks and Caicos. They want to be able to finish monitoring the Batty's communication with his soldiers. And so they would make an application for targeted interception warrant through this legislation to the court, which would provide that that communication, if it is listened to, if it is captured, if it is stored, has been done so in a legal framework that provides a mitigation factor or remedy to Batty A if they decide that what was done was unlawful, they could challenge it in court. So that's just a quick example of that. But what it is not seeking to do is listen in on Akira and Robert's calls for no reason. But what prevents... But if Akira is Snow Cone Akira, because, you know, she's really the leader of that gang, then that's a different avenue and the framework would be in here. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but the question is, what prevents that individual from listening in to other people's private call. Just for argument's sake, mm-hmm. and you know, I like to make it uh, yeah. practical as, pers- as possible. Uh, that officer may have a beautiful <laughs> girlfriend. <laughs> he may suspect that Robert Hall is roaching him. Mind you, I don't roach nobody these days, all right? This coffee can come through my nose. But anyway, <laughs> in case he thinks so, he may be tempted to check in on my calls. <laughs> so that's why the legal framework requires it to be approved by the senior executive of the police force. All right. And so this isn't something that um, beat officer B can just say, boy, Robert Hall looking at my, my gal a little, little too long. Let me see. Let me see if he calling her. No, 
it's it's much more serious than that and it has to be authorized and also the equipment who would be trained on the equipment when the equipment can be used when can it be imported into the islands and what could be captured from the equipment is all contained in the framework it's a very detailed bill um well ordinance of some 300 pages and unless we're going to do a two-hour show on it specifically i can only give broad strokes of of what it is because it is it is a tool to assist the police force but it has very very stringent parameters and when it can be used and it almost feels that it's so tight that it's not likely to be used but there will be instances especially if it's a mutual assistant warrant or targeted interception warrant that has an international component to it we want to be able to assist where we can because we have learned in the recent months and years of this country developing and growing we have had to rely on our neighbors to assist us in times of need as well right uh someone text to say whatsapp is end-to-end encrypted can you do proper surveillance on that i am not an app specialist in any way shape or form i can't tell you what whatsapp could pick up and what this equipment could pick up well outside my wheelhouse all i'm going to say is if you're not committing a crime none of this legislation bothers you okay all right um one individual i was thinking as you mentioned mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be a unilateral decision on the part of police officer it needs um to coordinate with another it needs to coordinate and it does go to court an application well, is made to the court well that's yeah. reassuring yeah. so there's well, mitigation that yeah. abuse abuse should not happen but if abuse does happen there's a remedy for abuse if it does happen well, that's good. Like the old folks used to say in Middle Caicos, two heads are better than one, yeah. even if it's bonefish head. Oh, jingles. Uh, you know. <laughs> Mind you, I have bonefish in a minute. I tell you, I still believe over there in the South Caicos, Mr. Jennings yeah. is still catching some. And but I'll are. be there this weekend, so I'm pretty sure I'll have bonefish this weekend. And the deputy premier, who is versed in these matters, he says you can't intercept encrypted communications like WhatsApp. Yeah. All right, there you have it. You see why it's good for having other ministers listening in? You see? I tell you. Anyway, we have been going for close to two hours, just about nine minutes left. It would be good. If the public would now utilize those few minutes to ask whatever questions they like, make whatever comments, because I tell you, I see so much erroneous stuff on Facebook. You have the source now. Get it clearly. All right. This is your opportunity. The number to call is one nine hundred twenty-two twenty-two zero zero seven. And don't be feeling away. If you find the program very informative or helpful, call and tell us. And we do more of these. You know what I'm saying? There we go. Well, what's up, me? Let me know. Mm-hmm. The number to call, 1-900-22-22-007. That's one thing with Turks and Caicos Island is the majority view 
like to keep those lips closed well, to, in to, some quarters. I'm going to say this. The silent majority is what really moves Turks and Caicos forward. You're going to have the loud minority who want to bash, want to criticize, and that's just people. But at the end of the day, I used to always feel some type of way when I came on Expressions and no one would call because I would think it was a terrible show until I realized persons would message me and said, you provided such clarity that I understood everything you were saying and how you were saying it. And so I always find that helpful. But it looks like we got a call. Yes. Welcome to Expressions. Let me do a Go right ahead. Show. This is so much fun. Greetings, greetings to you, Mr. Holland, to the Honorable Minister and all, and the wonderful and matchless grace of our great God and King Jesus Christ. Uh, thanks for giving us the opportunity to ask whatever question we ask to ask. But before I ask the Honorable Minister a question, let me first say this. Uh, the last two times she was on expression, I really didn't have the opportunity uh, to listen to her fully. So I thank her for this day uh, in here in order to explain uh, the recent uh, legislation that was passed recently. And thanks for uh, touching on the subject if one wanted to own a firearm. Not that I have any desire of owning any, but thanks for just uh, uh, letting us know about that. However, though, seeing that you are a legislator, and a lawyer, I have a question for you. And and, and even though, uh, yeah, recently you all passed, made an amendment or passed a, a, a bill that had something to do with, uh, with the electricians, the electricity amendment bill, and it posed uh, $150 non-refundable fee. The minister said in the House that that is more to help us and to regulate the, the fees we pay now. And he said it isn't a new fee. Can you say for a certain whether if that is an additional uh, fees we have to pay in addition to our regular fees for our license and for our business license? Thanks and bye. Excellent. Thank you, caller, so much for the question. And I'm happy to provide clarity on it based on the advice that I was given during the debate as well. The $150 registration or annual fee was always in the legislation and always payable. Now, whether it was paid or enforced, I think is another discussion. And I'm not the Minister of Home Affairs. And, you know, I don't like crossing over my colleagues' toes, but I'm just going to just neatly give it the little bubble. And then when he comes on, hopefully he can um, explain it a little bit better than I'm doing as I'm going from memory. So the fee was always payable. It is in addition to your business license fee, but it is part of your electric your electrician's registration that you would receive a license from government that you are uh, an electrician of whichever level that you are. So I link in I link this example to the bar. For us, we have our bar association fee, which is optional. But if you want to be a member of the bar association, then you pay your annual fee, and that is to an independent body, the bar association. Then I pay fifty dollars annually into the treasury for my practice certificate which is my license from the court to be an attorney for the next 12 months so then i pay that fee and if i own my firm i would pay my business license fee as well for the business license for the firm and if i also provide 
corporate management services, then I would have to pay an annual subscription fee, license fee for my corporate management certificate. And so, yes, there is a lot in that regard. I appreciate that that ministry is looking at the best way to streamline matters and make matters more accessible for that industry so that we can grow the electrical industry, that it could be more comparative or grow in comparison with the construction industry, which is having the ultimate boom that surpasses 2007-2008's boom. So I hope that helps in response to the Thank you. But it wasn't a new fee that was introduced in that legislation. No. And someone texted in to say, good morning. Thanks for explaining. Some may not think so. But it seems as if you all really came for this work. (laughs) But I have to be sure what we want. Mm -hmm. And she said, referring to the bills. Yes. And I I agree with them. Yeah, we came for this work. This work is a lot of work. I never shied away from being open and honest. We... (laughs) We bite, we bite off plenty. <laughs> oh, that's the citizen's contract. Hmm. Anyway, well, uh, we're getting through it. We're getting through it. But man, talk about visionary and ambitious. Well, uh, got me tired. But yes, we did come for this work. And as a country, we need to decide where we want to go as a people. And that discussion has not yet happened. I'm ready for that discussion to take place, but I will mind my P's and Q's until the invitation is extended for the door to open to have that discussion. Well, Honorable Minister, we just have about three more minutes to go. In the absence of others calling in, maybe maybe I should pose a question of my own. My pleasure. Um, unfortunately, uh, the Turks and Caicos has been blacklisted by the EU. You see that, day, Right. And now, Russia. Uh, uh, <laughs> like anybody was going to Russia. Yeah. But, uh, but, I, but, I, but I said to many whom I've spoken to, mm-hmm. uh, to, to begin with, what Russia says has little or no <laughs> impact <laughs> on <laughs> us. It's more the, British, the, the beef they have with the British. Yeah. And we happen to be British. Yeah, that's all. Then secondly, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. the... Blacklisting by the European Union or whatever, mm-hmm. primarily because they want all individuals from their respective countries to repatriate funds to theirs for tax purposes. Yes. And they don't give a heck what's happening in these smaller territories. No. But in our case, where we do not have to borrow much on international markets, etc., mm-hmm. while it's not a good thing to be listed, mm-hmm. blacklisted, I am of the opinion that it has minimal impact on us. Yes, yeah, so you and I uh, share the same opinion, save and accept that any stain on the country's reputation and brand, Turks and Caicos Islands, is one that any government would have to address their mind to. And I know my colleagues in the Ministry of Finance and the various corporate sector, corporate financial services sectors are addressing the concerns that have been raised in one of the reports in remediating or remedying those concerns. And if Mr. Jared would just give me five more minutes, because I know we're at the end of of the show, I want to take this opportunity to kind of provide context not on the blacklisting, but how the overseas territories, B 
became offshore financial service centers because I think a lot of people don't understand why these rocks in the middle of the ocean are such great places to incorporate companies to secure your wealth and have the legal framework to do it. So this happened by virtue of England, the United Kingdom, deciding that when they were going to pull a lot of the grant and aid that they were offering their territories around the world, there's 14 of us left, but some never needed grant and aid like Gibraltar, which is considered part of the EU in some respects and has such a strong economy, but also took up the opportunity, like Turks and Caicos, like Cayman Islands, like BVI, for this new industry called offshore financial management. And that was thrown on us. It wasn't something that we said we wanted to do, but it was thrown on us as a way to determine how we could make our own income and our own revenue to sustain the works that we needed to do in our respective territories. And now you come 40 years later, the same persons who habitually, and not persons, but countries who habitually benefited their wealthiest citizens have benefited from the offshore industries in the various territories around the world, because it's not just the British territories that provide that level of framework and financial protection if registered in our territories, are the same countries that are now saying, you are wrong for doing what we taught you to do in order to sustain yourself 40 years ago. And so it is in that regard that I get very upset by these sorts of actions that are being placed on us as territories when this was created by the onshore to protect their high net worth individuals from paying ridiculous amounts in tax. And so it's comical, but at the end of the day, the stain on being blacklisted by the EU, it's not good, but it's not something that's going to break brand Turks and Caicos. We are a strong brand. We are legislatively one that is comprehensive, understandable, and secured. Tourismly, if that's a word, we are providing a product that is continuous, that will continuously win awards and be as popular as it is. And in the construction industry is a true reflection of how strong our economy is doing in tourism. Now, whether or not that economy is touching you and I, Mr. Hall, is another question for another show, for another minister. I'm just going to focus on building Turks and Caicos now. <laughs> yes, when I heard you talk about creating that word, tourismly, yeah. I remembered Trump Bigly. Bigly. <laughs> Huge. Bigly. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, listen, we have come to the end of what has been, in my view, a very informative, interesting, and in my, in a way, entertaining yes. expressions. Um, I was a high school and primary school teacher, but if I was to be presumptuous, to try and grade a college professor, I would have to give a high grade. <laughs> now, as a teacher, I never gave 100%. Oh, no. As I always felt, there was room. Yes. There was now, room. For, to, to do it better. Mm -hmm. While I cannot pinpoint in any particular area. So, in the summary, 
I will give the Honorable Minister an A minus grade. Excellent that. presentation. Okay. And on behalf of the public, I thank you ever so much. And may God continue to bless you. Our listeners, do join me again on Wednesday, God Spears Life, when we hope to have yet another expressions. And uh, uh, by the way, on Friday, I do have guests. The one for Wednesday wasn't uh, confirmed. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, look today, I know this person just called uh, rather to text to say, very informative, but you need more time. Love to listen to that beautiful lady. Oh, wow. thank you. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, an honorable member said, too, very informative and spoke with such clarity. Uh-oh, Great show. Right. Wow, I tell you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are out of time. Uh, God bless all of you.